Welcome to Regulate and Rewire, an anxiety and depression podcast where we discuss the things I wish someone would have taught me earlier in my healing journey. I'm your host, Amanda Armstrong, and I'll be sharing my steps, my missteps, client experiences, and tangible research-based tools to help you regulate your nervous system, rewire your mind, and reclaim your life. Thanks for being here. Now let's dive in. Welcome back, everybody. This is part two of our three-part anxiety mini-series. So if you haven't yet listened to the previous episode, I highly recommend starting there because that'll give you some context and some framework that I'll be building off of today. But in quick summary, we talked about how to understand anxiety through a nervous system lens, how anxiety is rooted in the body, in the nervous system, not in your brain. It is a body-based alarm system not a thinking problem. And anxiety is the result of us being in this sympathetic activated state, either because of past lived experience, current life circumstances, in the moment our nervous system feels unsafe or triggered, and it creates a physiological and a psychological shift that we have labeled as anxiety. So it's one thing to logically understand this. It's another thing entirely to reflect this back on your own personal experiences, increasing that awareness, and then stepping into the work to actually turn towards that activation using regulation tools. And so today I am going to help you to reflect back onto your own experiences with some reflective questions to really help you gain even more personal context for what I mean by past lived experiences and current life circumstances. And then I am going to give you a guide to understand how anxiety uniquely shows up for you. So in the polyvagal theory, we call this mapping your nervous system. And you're essentially going to create a unique profile, a unique blueprint of your anxiety. And again, the goal is to familiarize yourself enough with your personal experience that you can step into this place of self-compassion around your symptoms and awareness of your symptoms so that you can catch them earlier. Because so many of us, myself included, spent years, even decades, intellectualizing our anxiety, living in our heads, being so disconnected from our body. And as a result of that, we often don't catch anxiety until it's like overwhelming and all consuming till we're at level eight, nine, or 10. And so with this nervous system mapping, by creating more awareness around how you uniquely experience anxiety, the hope is that you can catch it and intervene with regulation tools earlier. And every time that you do this, this actually helps you to create a more regulated nervous system. Just like every single bicep curl that you do in a gym helps you to have stronger biceps. Every single time you take a rep, if you will, towards being or feeling more regulated, you are moving towards a more regulated nervous system overall. And so helping our clients map out their nervous system states is some of the most foundational work that we do in our coaching practice before we ever get into the behavior change or the fixing or the shifting or the, you know, the deeper parts work, et cetera. Just starting with awareness is so foundational. And again, because one of the number one reasons that anxiety escalates so quickly is because we have this felt sense of alarm in our body and we don't understand it and we don't know what to do with it, right? That overestimation of threat 
paired with an underestimation of your ability to manage that threat. And so that is what I want to support you with. I want to help you understand even more so that anxiety is this body-based alarm, usually based on your past lived experience. It's a younger version of you or a younger version of you that wrote some programming into your nervous system trying to get your attention. It's trying to warn you or keep you safe. And again, it's not just this abstract inner child construct, but because of that earlier programming, your alarm goes off. Your physiology changes in very real, measurable, tangible ways in the present moment. And we can calm this stress physiology using tangible tools and nervous system regulation work when we understand it better. So to start kind of this work today, and this episode really is some personal work to the extent that you choose to step into this with me, to the extent that you have the capacity to step into this. This could also be work that you bring into a session with a trauma-informed practitioner to explore, et cetera. But I want to help you create context around your anxiety first by briefly inviting you to reflect back on some of your own experiences past and present, and then I'm going to guide you through how to start creating a nervous system profile map. So to lay out some of the pieces contributing to your current nervous system state, we are going to take a deeper dive into these three categories, three things that impact and inform and add stress load on the nervous system. Your past lived experiences current life circumstances. And that third category is what can offset those and lead to long-term healing, which are the present day kind of coping skills and strategies that you have. And so in, again, in part one, in our last conversation, we explored what I meant by past experiences and current life circumstances. But today, what I really want to do is invite you into this personal reflection or exploration of what Parts of those things might help you make sense of the anxiety that you're experiencing today. So let's assume for a moment that your anxiety does make perfect sense based on your past lived experience. Now, some of you are listening and you're already nodding your head. You're like, yep, that checks. My childhood was chaotic. My parents were unpredictable. Like you've already been in enough therapy to put those pieces together. You know why you're struggling. But there might be others of you who are listening who might think like, but my childhood was like, fine. It was good. It was whatever. So like, what's my, what's my good reason for being anxious? So again, for a second, let's assume that you do have a good reason. And I believe that every single person's anxiety makes sense, not based on some genetic predisposition, although that may play a role, but on their past experience and current life stressors. What you have learned is safe or not safe. The ways that you have needed to abandon your true self to find connection or get your needs met, what you've learned to attach your self-worth to and so on. And I have supported countless individuals and clients to getting to this really powerful like aha moment where they can shift from thinking that they're broken to non-judgmentally, curiously exploring some of these things until they get to this moment of like, oh my gosh, like, of course I struggle with anxiety. Like, of of course this makes sense. I make so much more sense when I can lay all of these pieces out in this way. And so that's what I want to support you in is laying some of these pieces out in a way that gives you this calm moment of, 
Oh, oh, interesting. So matter, no matter how chaotic or how supportive and wonderful your childhood is, there are still pieces from our past that felt overwhelming for our little nervous system. There are still ways that our imperfect parents, no matter how well-meaning, didn't have the tools in the moment to, to meet a specific need that we had and programming got written. And now as adults, it's our job to go back and to find that faulty programming and to meet it with compassion and these tangible tools so that we can heal, really. So when I talk about, you know, past lived experiences or, you know, inner child work, like there's a lot of different reactions. Some people are thrilled. Some people's eyes glaze over. Some people are really intimidated with these things. So let's just start with basic child needs. So when it comes to your past lived experiences, you as a child, every single child had some basic needs and those included your physical needs, food, water, shelter, safety, emotional needs, you know, a need to feel validated, comfort, safe, even with big feelings, emotional needs. You needed to have emotional stability from your caretakers. Children need rest. They also need free and spontaneous play. One of the things that children need is to know that they are safe, loved, and connected, securely attached to their parents without having to prove something to get that. And anytime they do feel like they have to change something about themselves or prove something, that is where some of this programming gets written. Some of the wounding happens. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But like I said, today is all about being reflective in, in our conversation. And so taking a moment to look back on, you know, your childhood or your past lived experience, whether that's, you know, the last decade or 50 years ago, whatever, were your physical needs met? Did you have food, water, shelter? Did you feel safe in the neighborhood that you grew up in? Right? This could also include things like if you were part of a marginalized group. Did you feel safe in the body that you were in and the places that you were? And if you didn't, okay, your nervous system started to learn to adapt. You started to be on more high alert. You started to resource guard or whatever to get those physical needs met to create a sense of physical safety for yourself, right? And in in some, some more serious cases, like was there physical abuse? And then we talk about emotional needs. Children experience big feelings. There is no emotion that is inappropriate for a child or inappropriate for a human at any stage to feel. And children need adults that can stay self-regulated even when they can't. Children do not have the ability to regulate themselves yet. They are completely dependent upon caretakers to model regulation and to hold that space for them. And so were your emotional needs met? And even the most well-meaning parents can fall short here, right? Either because they don't know better or they themselves don't know how to stay regulated. So did you have maybe emotionally absent parents? Did you have emotionally unpredictable parents where sometimes they reacted one way or sometimes they didn't, maybe based on their own mental health struggles? When you were feeling a big sad or a big mad, were you told that you were being dramatic? Were you sent to your room to kind of deal with these big feelings all alone? Were you put in timeout for doing age 
appropriate things versus having a parent who sat down and calmly gave you context for why that behavior, you know, wasn't good. Were you expected to just comply blindly, right? Or did you have parents who who were able to stay calm even when you weren't? And not checked out and distracted, but present and calm with you in your big feelings. Remember we talked about in our last conversation where this overwhelming experience that can cause wounding, that can cause stored trauma and stored survival energy in our body is any time that as a child, a teenager, even as an adult, when you, you can't reset from that natural stress cycle. And especially children, they cannot reset from that natural stress cycle on their own. They're dependent upon caretakers to hold space for their big feelings and to stay regulated enough themselves to help you have something to calibrate and to match to. So was it okay? Was it safe for you to be mad, sad, or frustrated? And if it wasn't, okay, just taking note of that. When it comes to things like rest or free spontaneous play, part of my, my childhood was I was in a million structured activities. I think at one point I was taking like five dance classes. I was in Taekwondo, voice lessons, and piano lessons, really active in church, active in school, like all at the same time. And my parents, well-meaning, I'm sure thought they were giving me all of these opportunities. And maybe they put me in all of these activities because they did not know what to do with all my hyper energy at home. And it did give me both. It gave me these opportunities, but it also limited my opportunity for just free time, for free spontaneous play. And so play without purpose is something that I think I completely abandoned by the time I was maybe 10 or 11. And it's something that I am trying to like re-engage in as an adult. So these are just some basic child needs. And Gabor Mate, a renowned physician, author in the worlds of trauma, addiction, uh, stress, and child development, he talks about how children have two fundamental biological and like evolutionary needs, and it is attachment and authenticity. So by nature as humans and all mammals, really, we are creatures of attachment. It is genetically programmed into our DNA, this need to connect, this need that we have to belong. And It starts with attachment to our parents or early caretakers because we literally depend on them to get our needs met. And then when I say this word authenticity, the meaning behind this is we have kind of this evolutionary need to be authentically connected to our body, to our emotions, to our gut feelings, and to be able to heed their guidance. And why? Because we're still animals at our core and in nature, a creature who doesn't follow their instincts usually doesn't survive. Right. But what happens in the human world that's unique is that oftentimes early in our life, these two things collide this attachment and authenticity. There's usually a trade off. So, what happens when a young child, say two, three, four, five, is angry and is sent away until they can just cool off or they're told to knock it off because they're being too dramatic? Right. This kid gets the message that if I experience my genuine self, which in this moment is this big feeling, If I authentically show up, if you will, anger, you know, in this case, then I sacrifice attachment. I'm less liked or I'm sent away. You know, maybe again, you have an unpredictable parent. This is confusing for a child. Well, sometimes they're this, but sometimes they're not. And that reads to our nervous system as unpredictable and not safe. So again, that puts your nervous system into this high alert. Or a bigger example, right? A child gets abused. The natural instinct, the authentic self is going to say, run away or fight back. But can a child really afford to do that? 
Probably not. So instead, they deny this instinct and they adapt. They separate from parts of themselves in order to survive and stay in connection with the people who provide their needs. And so as a kid, when things like this happen big or in small ways, over time you adapt and you learn that in order to stay attached and connected with parent A or parent B or in this school environment or here, you know, that you need to do X, Y, or Z. And then to compound that, we live in a culture that praises kids for being good and nice and pleasant and compliant, pretty or smart, right? And, and it's instinctual, you know, to praise kids for pleasing us, right? For adapting themselves to the rules that we subscribe to as adults, because this is how we've learned to survive and stay safe in the world. And so as children, maybe you experienced this, <laughs> over time, we give up these small or big parts of ourselves to be accepted and to stay safe. And we all have done this to some degree. And in that process, our nervous system is learning what's safe or isn't safe. And if in your childhood, an environment feels less safe than safe, for whatever reason to our tiny human brains, it switches default modes. So now instead of having a baseline in that green zone of regulation, feeling calm and safe and present, our default mode becomes this yellow zone of hypervigilance, of activation that fuels our anxiety. And so again, we've all done this to varying degrees. Most of the anxiety that you experience today as an adult, as an adult has roots in the experiences that you had in your childhood, when you didn't feel connected to, seen, safe, heard, loved, visible, had unmet needs, if there were instances of abuse. Your nervous system remembers every single situation in which you weren't accepted. And it's written the programming that runs your life today. And anytime today something feels familiar to a time in your past, bam, that internal alarm gets triggered. And this is your way of your nervous system saying, hey, pay attention. Remember last time, right? And my ability and your ability to rewrite and break the patterns of alarm that no longer serve us is entirely based on your ability to regulate your nervous system, to turn towards those states of alarm in a regulating, compassionate way, to hear the messages of those younger parts of ourselves, and to show them that this is now and not then that we're here and we're not there, that we are actually safe and we do have what it takes to keep ourselves safe and to meet our needs in the present moment. And you can only do that by understanding that anxiety is a body-based alarm rooted in past lived experience, past lived experience and younger parts of you that have really good intentions to keep you alive. And sometimes those really good intentions are misplaced in your present day life. And so hopefully that gave you just at least a tiny bit of, oh, this is what that means. My past lived experience or my inner child, or this is how my childhood could still be playing out in my anxiety today. And it's possible, right? That even after some of those exploratory questions, you're not having any of these aha moments. And so this could indicate that either A, There's some really early experiences that overwhelmed your nervous system that you don't have actual memory of, or that you're, it 
the primary cause for your anxiety is that your current life circumstances are overloading your nervous system. So taking a moment now to be reflective about that, your current life stressors, your current life circumstances. And with our clients, we do an exercise called the stress bucket exercise, right? Remember the nervous system ladder, you're standing at the top with that bucket. We call this your stress bucket. And we have 10 categories or so that we help our clients assess and explore to determine how manageable the current day, present load, everyday life stressors are for their nervous system. How is their lifestyle either contributing to dysregulation or facilitating regulation? So we look at things like sleep quality, work stress, home stress, relationships, thoughts, internal environment. So this could be gut things, autoimmune things, et cetera external environment. Again, the safety of the environment, the sense of chaos or calm, the clutter in an environment, respiration habits, your breathing plays a big role in messages that get sent to your nervous system. We look at restorative time, both quality and quantity. How many decisions do they have to make a day? The inputs, again, quality and quantity, that could be things like the news, books you're reading, shows you're watching, social media, et cetera. And so, you know, maybe taking a minute to come back and and write down some of those categories and explore how much weight you're carrying for each one of those categories. And it is amazing when we put all of this on paper with clients, when we explore each of these categories, you know, deeply and curiously and non-judgmentally with them, they look down and they're like, oh my gosh, like, I've just been trying to keep my head above water for so long. I've never paused to take a look at everything that was weighing me down. And again, there's this aha moment of self-compassion of like, of course, of course my nervous system is in overdrive. Of course I'm anxious. Or even sometimes like, of course I'm so overwhelmed to the point of shutdown. Like look at what I've been carrying and look how long I've been carrying it. And just a reminder that my goal with this episode is not actually to provide you with any solutions for these things yet, but instead to really hold compassionate space to invite you into this exploration and awareness around what might be driving some of that activation in your body that you call anxiety. And this awareness is so key before we try to fix anything. And at least in the way that we guide clients through this process in coaching, it creates an incredible amount of self-compassion as well, where they finally shift that story from something is wrong with me to, oh, actually this all makes sense based on what I've been through and what I'm holding. And it's there in that self-compassion and hope that the healing really begins to happen in realizing that this isn't just how you are, but it's a result of what you've been through and that you can heal and learn differently over time. And that's what brings us to that third category, which is what I call the offset category. So this is those coping skills that you do or don't have. So we've reflected on that past lived experience, those current life circumstances, and the healing comes from, from, well, what can we do today to manage the result of those combination of things? And maybe you've been through a lot, but you also have done a lot of this work already, a lot of coaching or therapy. Maybe you have a really supportive social network that provides you with resourcing and coping strategies. And again, going back to that anxiety reframe from last episode, that anxiety is this overestimation of threat paired with an underestimation of your ability to manage the threat. 
all of these things, the resources that you get and the support that you get make you feel more able to handle whatever comes, feeling safe or supported or connected. And so the goal of our coaching, the work that we do with clients is to help our clients identify the tools and practices that allow them to internally resource as well as to create a clear sense of the external resources, the external support systems that they have as well, be it the coach, membership, community, identifying friends or family that are regulating versus escalating. And again, not taking too much time in this conversation to deep dive into specific coping skills or strategies, but just taking a moment to acknowledge who in your life, if anyone, modeled emotional regulation for you, especially as a child. Who in your life modeled self-compassion, self-care, patience, resilience, communication, boundary setting, healthy habits? And if you're like, no one, well, then of course you suck at those things, right? No one's ever taught you how, how to play those games. Just like no one's ever taught me how to play tennis. And I consider myself a very athletic person. And I once went to, to play tennis with my husband. It was when we were dating, actually. And I'm thinking like, how hard can it be? It was hard and it was embarrassing. And I was really, really bad because nobody's ever taught me how to play tennis before. So of course I was bad at it, right? If no one ever taught you how to regulate your emotions or your nervous system, if no one ever taught you how to set boundaries to have healthy communication and so on, of of course you suck at it. And of course that creates more anxiety in your life. Not because you suck, not because You're not good enough or smart enough or have enough motivation or willpower, but simply because you don't know what you don't know yet, right? Life has handed you a 300 pound bucket and nobody trained you or prepared you to carry it. And would it have been awesome if those things were modeled for you, for us, for me and taught to us as children? Yeah, but for most of us here, they weren't. And so now it is our job as an adult to seek out those skills. It is your job now to teach yourself how to self-regulate, to be able to turn towards those younger pieces and younger parts of you and say, I know you didn't feel safe then, but I've got you now. And this is how, and this is what that looks like. This is what it feels like. I know you didn't feel safe or valid then, but I will help you feel safe and valid now so that we can unlearn and get out of these toxic, repeating patterns and move towards healing. Okay. So that was the exploration part of this. And now the second thing that I wanted to give you really kind of maybe the homework from, from today's conversation is a framework for you to start to map out your own nervous system, for you to create a blueprint of how you experience activation and anxiety. And just like an actual map helps you to determine where you are so that you can set course to where you want to go appropriately, mapping your nervous system helps you do the same. It gets you familiar with what it feels like for you to be in that yellow zone of activation. And this is for two main reasons. One, because the more familiar you are with the earlier signs and symptoms of anxiety, the sooner you can catch it and reverse that spiral. And the second reason this is so valuable is because as you'll learn in part three of this series, different tools will work better depending on what level of anxiety you're experiencing and that there are no universal ways to regulate the nervous system. Different things work for different people. And so you need to to learn how to be in conversation with your system. You need 
to learn and to cultivate this interoception, this body awareness, to know if a particular tool is supportive for you or not. So how to map your nervous system. I'm going to lay it out in a really simple way. And I'm actually, I'll attach in the show notes again, a a worksheet to lay this out for you if you're more of a visual learner and it's just helpful for you to actually see it. But essentially what you're going to do is get really curious and identify four different categories of how you experience feeling activated. Body sensations, emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. So on a piece of paper, you write at the top anxiety or activation, any word that resonates with you. And then you'll have four columns and these columns will be titled sensations, emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. And what you're going to do in each one of these categories is explore. Okay. It answers that these questions of what state am I in? Okay. You're identifying I'm, I'm activated. I'm in the yellow zone. And this answers the question of, well, how do I know? How do I know that I'm in that yellow zone? How do I know that I'm anxious? How do I know that I'm activated? The sensations are, what does it feel like in my body? For you, are there butterflies in your stomach? Do your palms get sweaty? Does your heart beat? Does your chest get tight? Does your throat close? How do you experience physical sensations? What other emotions are in this yellow zone for you? Irritated, anxious, angry, Can you identify some emotions that come just before the anxiety, right? Or just after basic anger is that rage. Thoughts. What kind of thoughts do you think about yourself, about others, about the world? What sense of urgency? And then what kind of behaviors? What are the things that you do or don't do when you're feeling anxious or activated? And so, like I said, this is, this is an exploration activity. This is an, an invitation for you to curiously turn towards your nervous system And it's not a one and done. I I invite you to spend the next week or so paying attention to and adding to things you notice. This is also something that can be incredibly powerful to do and explore with a a trauma-informed practitioner, whether that's one of our coaches in the membership or in our one-on-one coaching or with somebody else that you're working with. But creating this nervous system map is the start of befriending your nervous system. Befriending and bringing yourself into conversation with your body. So can you familiarize yourself self enough with your anxiety signs, symptoms that you can come into conversation with these alarm systems in your body? And this is the first step to eventually learning how to turn towards, to regulate and to calm them. So like I said, it was all about awareness, about stepping into this place of curiosity and exploration. This is the foundation to healing. You have to do this first. You have to know, you have to be educated. You have to know how your system works. And then you have to be able to apply that to you personally, to have this awareness about how this shows up for you before you can step into any of the actual tangible regulation practices. And so the three key takeaways from today's conversation is all your symptoms, all of you make sense. Your anxiety makes sense based on your past lived experience and your current life circumstances. And then we can offset that with our coping skills. Maybe the ones you got as a kid and the ones you're going to teach yourself as an adult. But this first takeaway is that you're not broken. In fact, a nervous system that has been able to live on high alert for this long is a pretty resilient nervous system. 
and a nervous system that has had the capacity to work this hard for you to feel safe is absolutely a nervous system that has the capacity to heal and regulate. Takeaway number two, I'm sounding like a broken record at this point, but your current life circumstances set the stage for continued and compounding dysregulation. You have the responsibility to control the controllables. Like I said, nervous system regulation, it's a lifestyle. As you move towards regulation, your life is going to change as well. And so looking at your current life circumstances, are these compounding dysregulation or creating an environment and space for me to regulate and feel safe? And a lot, like I said, a lot of what's happening in your life might be out of your control, but a lot of it is absolutely within your control. And this is where coaching or therapy or support can be really helpful because we only see things with our our narrow blinders on. And what a practitioner's job is to help hold a safe space for you to, to get curious about, okay, well, I didn't think I had control over that, but what might that look like? Or how could I still, you know, accomplish this thing that I want to accomplish, but maybe in a different way. And key takeaway number three is that your activation, your anxiety has a unique blueprint in the way that it shows up and getting familiar with that is the first step towards regulation. And so I guess my invitation for takeaway number three is to take some time to map out your nervous system, at least mapping out this yellow zone, the anxiety experience that you have. And like I said, I will drop in the show notes, a simple PDF that can support you in that work. All right, friends, thank you so, so much for being here. And I look forward to continuing this conversation in part three of our anxiety mini series. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Regulate and Rewire podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a five-star review to help us get these powerful tools out to even more people who need them. And if you yourself are looking for more personalized support in applying what you've learned today, consider joining me inside Rise, my monthly mental health membership and nervous system healing space, or apply for our one-on-one anxiety and depression coaching program, Restore. I've shared a link for more information to both in the show notes. Again, thanks so much for being here and I'll see you next time.